Hello and welcome. I'm Simon. And I'm Tony. We are Needy Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 124, recorded on the 18th of June 2020. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on needypintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. And we are missing Alexander. But on the flip side, Tony is back. Yeah, so the data guy went uh, missing and I found my way back here. Uh, day before Midsummer's Eve. Yeah, which in Sweden is the closest to an actual national holiday as we can get. Yeah, pretty much. So what everyone, how, like, for you that aren't Swedes, you should know that this day is celebrated by standing in line to our stately monopoly monopoly for alcohol sales. Yeah, I, I heard pretty pretty bad horror stories about that today. Uh, yeah. I, did, I did my shopping earlier in the week, so I didn't have to. But yep. yeah, poor bastards that did that today. That was a yeah. bad decision. Yes. Uh, but Alexander is actually hosting the Swedish Power BI user group tonight. So that's why he can't join us. But we have plenty of things to talk about. Did, did you say the Swedish user group? Yeah, the Swedish Power BI user group. And that was booked for today. Yeah. This evening even. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like horrible planning. <laughs> I think we, we shouldn't go to any conclusions in terms of what the participants of that user group thinks of Midsummer's Eve. So by that, let's go to today's headlines. We are going to do a recap from last week, since a lot of the topics we discussed back then were of interest to Tony, and uh, he has some additional things to add to that. We'll be talking about... Azure Files with on-premise Active Directory domain service authentication and connect that to uh, some other Windows Virtual Desktop topics as well. We'll also talk a lot about Windows updates and upgrades since there has been a lot of announcement this week. And we'll finish up with some events that we think that you would like to attend. As we usually do. Yeah. But let's start with the recap from last week. Have you listened to the episode? Of course. Of course. Yeah, that's mandatory. Yeah, so where would you like to start? Uh, well, I suppose we could do the AMD virtualization thing first, because that is actually humongous news that I believe many, many, many people have been waiting for for a long, long time, uh, including myself, actually. Because I yep. was actually... Th I began thinking that that actually might be some sort of technical, um, let's say, bump that you can't really get over. That it's just a you know architectural limitation or something like that. But now, all of a sudden, from a clear blue sky, it seems that Microsoft actually has got this working with the latest preview builds. So I'm expecting many, many, many people, developers and enthusiasts, power users, the organizations even. Uh, that are very much relieved and eager to try this out as soon as possible because it enables many, many, many Windows 10 security features that were previously unavailable for these AMD users. Yeah, uh, and, and those AMD users being, of course, uh, the Ryzen generation of CPUs, including Threadripper, uh, of course, and Epic even, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that, like, to, to recap on that, it's the news is about nested 
virtualization on AMD, which haven't been available previously. Yeah, but not only that, because, you know, the Windows subsystem for Linux builds on the same technology. Uh, Device yeah. Guard builds on the same technology. So none of none of those, uh, like, security features or virtualization features weren't available for AMD users previously. But but weren't they? I think it's, o- I think it's only nested Hyper-V or nested virtualization that is the, the big thing. But we on the other hand, we had the VMware release yeah. two weeks ago. Uh, where you were able are now able to run VMware Workstation with the Hyper-V features. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. I thought I still thought that you know the device guard stuff are like building on the same sandbox technology, but I I, I might be wrong on that. Don't take my word on it. Yeah, I think the, the the main thing for AMD is the nested virtualization, so the ability to run Hyper-V on Hyper-V on AMD. Yeah, but doesn't still the you know the subsystem for Linux, for example, build on that same technology? Isn't that running you know virtualization on Hyper-V to enable that feature? I think we might have needed to do some more research on this prior to recording this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I I talked about it last week, so I've forgotten everything I knew back then. Okay, sure. Anyways, it's a huge new thing. Uh, As you say, it's been tested on the first generation Ryzen and Epic and newer CPUs. And you need to be running um, at least 19.636, that release of Windows for now. And uh, also Linux guest support will be coming in the future. So uh, you, uh, you may be right, actually, that on that, that for... Being able to virtualize Linux on top of it, you actually have, haven't been able to do that previously. I didn't know that. So for guests. Yeah. Cool. And uh, also, of course, the other, uh, I assume, relatively big thing, big news, was the Azure Firewall for Sunling, which I know Alex mentioned in the last episode. Yeah. So that that's that's also a big deal, I think. Uh, I think many, many, many people have been requesting that feature. And I don't really know why it hasn't been available before, but I'm pretty sure that many, many, many people will actually appreciate that. So you can do force tunneling in the Azure Firewall now. Yeah. And uh, I believe Alex also mentioned, you know, the the pros of being able to do that in a SaaS uh, uh, application, for example. So this SQL server can only talk to this uh, instance of tenants or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I believe that's a huge, uh, huge news from last week. Absolutely. So let's continue to this week's news. And I think we, since I can see some really cool use cases for force tunneling with um, Azure Firewall, for WVD as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, in terms of what you can access from a certain VM and such. But also some other things were released this week or actually put to general availability in that will benefit implementations of Windows Virtual Desktop. And one of those things are Azure Files with a new way of authentication. Yep. So uh, that went to general availability, I believe, uh, late late last week. Uh, might 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 have been Friday or something like that. Just you know, the day after you did your recording. Um, so yes, now you can use your on-premise Active Directory uh, groups and users to uh, apply 
uh, ACLs, access control lists, uh, to your Azure uh, files as well. So the Azure files shared that you create will actually join your uh, on-premises domain to be able to do you know group lookups and things like that. So you will be able to use your uh, on-premise Active Directory to assign permissions uh, for uh, Azure files as well. And and how would you have done this previously? I'm not really sure. Uh, I assume you might have been able to use uh, like Active, Azure Active Directory for this, uh, yeah. or uh, going even more back in time. I suppose it would have been like you know the access keys and things like that in Azure, and that that's not really applicable for you know everyday use or normal users wouldn't be able to use that. Uh, but if you are like uh, linking a Azure file share to your server, that might have been an option, but not otherwise. So this means that you know all your users can actually just map map to this drive directly using a single Active Directory group or multiple yeah. ones, if you like. And I think one of the, the huge benefits of this is, of course, the that you can do full pass solutions for your WBD environments, and that these file shares may host both. Uh, FSLogix profiles or FSLogix disks as well as MSIX packages. Yeah, I saw some th- something about that as well. Like, how, how's your WVD journey going with your employer? Uh, it is going very well this far. Um, I have tried to ask for feedback as much as possible, uh, but I don't get it. Uh, okay. <laughs> and that usually, you know, it's it's the regular IT thing, you know. If things work, you don't hear anything. And uh, it's only when stuff hits the fan that you actually, you know, people start calling in and complaining. But yep. as long as things are just running smoothly, uh, people don't usually have an, an opinion and don't like to report back on it. So... Uh, with that said, uh, I have asked even the local application admin about this, and he says the same thing. I, I, I haven't heard anything. Uh, people just keep working on it, and it seems to be just fine. Yeah. Uh, did, did I actually mention there was a new tool available for Windows Virtual Desktop? No, we did miss that. When you added it to our notes. Yeah, but because I went missing, you forgot it. Yes. So yeah. So that was like a performance analyzer thingy. Uh, I think Citrix, for example, has had those for ages. Uh, yep. But this was a third-party tool, a community tool, written and available for free, uh, which you can install in your virtual, Windows Virtual Desktop, or even you don't even have to install it. It's just like an executable you run on your um, uh, WVD machine. Uh, and it will show you like diagnostics information about the connection, the connection experience, latency, things like that. Cool. And and so the I think it's the connection experience indicator, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. And how have you used it? Have you have any had any practical need for it so far? Uh, I have not used it at all. I just offered it to the application um, administration uh, administrator who is uh, running the application in our uh, environment. Yeah. So I offer it to him just to say, you know, here is another great, uh, or oh, what looks to be a great uh, troubleshooting tool if you need it. Uh, of course, you don't have to deploy it on every user. Uh, there's really no need for that since they're not complaining anyway. But if there should be some user that has uh, like a bad experience, uh, you should have the tool at least available on the VVD platform just so they can easily do a initial diagnostic. Yeah. So is it is it the user's connection that is actually bad or something else? So moving from Windows Virtual Desktop to Windows Desktops in general, 
uh, because this week have been all about new ways of looking at, naming, and releasing Windows updates. So I think we should start with the um, the smallest news item. And um, Microsoft announced this week that they will resume non-security updates in July 2020. Um, so the backstory on this is that when COVID started to spread uh, across the globe, Microsoft decided to only release security and stability-related updates to Windows to ease uh, updates uh, and, and minimize updates, I would assume, as well uh, for remote uh, deployment. Yeah, I remember us talking about that actually early in the year. Yeah. So it's been paused for close to four months now, uh, but now they will start releasing it again, but only for Windows 10 and Windows Server 1809 and later. Uh, these and these will be optional features, so now or optional updates. So now we're back to a place where you can decide between which updates you want to deploy. So I, I honestly hope that they will get rid of that once things get to the new normal. But they will now be released under preview so that you can uh, defer them if you don't want to deploy them to your machines. And um, this is actually quite interesting as well because Microsoft will only be releasing them every third week of the month. Every third? Yes. Okay. So they now have the security updates every second week. So Patch Tuesday. And then the preview updates, which are non-security related updates, on the third week of the month. <laughs> okay. I'm sure there's probably a good reason for this, but I, in my mind, just like, you know, spontaneous, I think that sounds like a weird decision to take. Why would you, like, separate those? It will just be more patching for companies. Probably. I And I think that... Since they've gone down this route, they will at some point need to. They will need to change this at some point again. So, I understand that they are probably having very good reasons for it, but it will only complicate things in the long run, both for Microsoft and for their customers. I would guess. Yeah, well, that's my thinking as well. So, just more patching. Nobody likes that. So that was one of the things. Uh, another thing that will be changing, and this is for the better, uh, I would say, uh, is that Microsoft will be changing the naming of both their insider rings as well as how they talk about uh, their upcoming releases. So this release that we just had, 2004, is the last one that will have that kind of name oh the the year month exactly yeah. so from now on they will be called 20h2 which is the next one so year followed by half of year which makes total sense um, for so many reasons and will highly simplify for every single person on this planet yeah well i believe they also said from the beginning that they will do larger updates what was it biannually so twice a year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they will so still have... every six months. Yeah. So absolutely. that makes way more sense in that case to call it H1 or H2 in that case. Yeah. Because I think they have missed pretty much every single one of their year, month <laughs> yeah. builds this far. So why why even bother? Yeah, but 
this is only for commercial customers. For consumers, it will still have a friendly name such as May 2020 update. Oh, come on. So it's a small step in the right direction, but yeah. I know, there's a meme somewhere in there. <laughs> Probably. And these, the, the next version of Windows, so 20H2, uh, has just been released in a couple of previews. Uh, so when you a couple of preview builds. Uh, and something to note there is that they include the new Chromium-based Edge by default. Okay. Which is nice. And they've also promised that 20H2 will be released with the same servicing technology as 1909. So that update from 20H1 to 20H2 should be very, very smooth and quick. Sounds good. The last thing that has changed is that the Insider program, which was previously built on different kinds of rings, so release preview, fast and slow, and so on, will now be um, converted into channels. And instead of having frequency of builds, they will focus on quality of builds uh, to better support parallel coding efforts. And to add to that, Microsoft is also aligning the Windows, Office, Microsoft Edge and Microsoft Teams Insider programs to have the same naming convention, which makes total sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and they are talking about this again in terms of quality instead of frequency. So instead of saying that, yeah, I want many new releases as fast as possible, that's what I'm opting in for. Uh, you are now opting in for, okay, what's the quality I'm expecting for my releases? If you can live with a lower quality, more bugs and so on, but will want to be on the edge, you go for the dev channel. No pun intended, right? No no pun intended. So the fast and skip ahead rings is now being renamed to dev channel. And that's for highly technical users that wants to be the first to access the latest build uh, as early in the development cycle as possible. There will be rough edges and some instability. Uh, again, no pun intended. Again, their, their words, not mine. <laughs> Slow ring is turning turning into beta channel, just as we are used to with Edge, and uh, this is right for early adopters. So, the feedback here will actually matter most here. So, if you give them feedback in the dev channel, that will have less value to them than if you give it in the beta channel since there are more finalized features there. Mm -hmm. uh, these builds will be reliable uh, with updates validated by Microsoft. So I think we'll see a lot of people actually moving from the dev channel to the beta channel, uh, just based on that. You still want to be an early adopter, you still want to have a saying in how it's developed, but you don't want all the bugs that have been uh, crawling around in the some of the fast builds, especially in the latest releases. And then you have the release preview ring, which is being renamed. Ensure that you follow now. The release preview ring is renamed release preview channel. Ooh, that's a big change. Right for those who want stability and release validation. Basically, you get more advanced updates. These builds are supported, which is to me a very important aspect as well, that you can actually run these in production. Uh, so that's probably turning the insider program into the real Windows Insider for Business program that many have been uh, wanting to get. 
I get that. Um, but just because Microsoft is actually supporting the preview build doesn't mean that your corporate IT will need to support preview builds as well. No. So, I mean, for for example, a, a company I know of um, does support the latest officially released versions of everything Microsoft-related. Yeah. Uh, but then again, if a developer, for example, uh, wants to use a new preview feature, they can. They are allowed to do that. But yeah. that also means that they won't be getting corporate IT support. Yeah. Because they are not using the preview versions anyway. So, I mean, they might be testing those, but, you know, there's still so many unknown questions and unknown scenarios that they can take responsibility for. So if a developer wants to use a preview version, that's fine, but uh, they won't get any support for it, which I probably understand that most developers already know about. So it's fine. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely fair. And that's really a, g- a good way of doing it so that you can have access and can be on the edge in terms of developing applications. I, I will say edge a couple of other times in this episode as well, probably. The right three. <laughs> yeah. Three on the edge. That's the name of our upcoming podcast series. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. So we're closing into summer and um, usually during summers, things calm down. We don't do that much. But looking at the um, events that will be going on both the coming weeks as well as during the summer points me in a direction where I'll probably be attending some online events, virtual events and such just to stay on top of things. We won't be covering that much about um, Microsoft, the the partner conference, Inspire, sorry, Microsoft uh, Inspire, which which you are able to sign up for now. It will be completely free, two days. Uh, in the end of July. But we'll probably get back to that once more sessions are being released. But that's something I'm considering attending, actually. We also have IGIL Disrupt Virtual Edition next week, which uh, I'm looking forward to as well. That's And this is quite an interesting question I have for you. In general, if if you want to reach a global audience or at least an audience in Europe and the US with one single event. Yeah, that's a tough one. Which time zone would you put it in? I'm not sure if the time zone itself is the actual question. I think it's at what time during the day would you have the largest possible audience? Yeah. So... Let's say if you are doing Central European time, I suppose that should be late afternoon, probably, uh, to be able to reach your US customers as well. Because that would mean most likely that that's a rather early morning for them. So, you know, if it's, uh, say, for example, nine o'clock over there in the morning, it's three o'clock here. Just to pick an example. Of course, it varies where you are in the US. Uh, but I think that's pretty much like the Pacific time or something, which is, I think, minus six hours from here. Yeah, that's east, Eastern. Eastern, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. I always have to Google those to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> then again, it would be worse for, you know, our Asian or uh, Australian customers, which would be rather a late evening in, in those cases. Yeah. So if you're only having one time slot, I suppose if you're talking about Central European time, I suppose it should be 
early to mid-afternoon, so between 1 and 4, maybe. Yeah, because that's an interesting aspect of the IGIL Disrupt, the online edition of IGIL Disrupt, because they start at 4 p.m. Central European time. Okay. Which, to me, actually, like I'm being very biased here, but I would guess that it's easier to get Europeans to stay up a bit later than for Americans to go up early in the morning. Since you also have so many time zones to cover in the US. So if you were to put it early Eastern time, it would be super early Pacific time. So I think that to to reach the best audience, which is exactly what you're talking about, I find that that time slot between, in this case, 4 p.m. and 10 p.m. Central European time is the best you can get, probably, because you cover all the US time zones and it's not too late for the Europeans. Yeah, but that is still if you are your focus is only on uh, Europe and US. Yeah, exactly. Global, because, it, it's yeah, really, because, really tough. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're beginning at, like, 4 p.m., uh, <laughs> forget about Asia and Australia. That's just not happening. No. But then we have some other events as well. And one thing I pitched to you just before this podcast was the um, Worldwide Azure Hybrid Virtual Event. Right. Which is taking place on, let's see, I think it were June 24th, right? So next week. Next week. Yeah, June 24th. Uh, and it's it's a one-hour event as far as I can tell, uh, between 8 and 9 a.m. Pacific time. You will be getting some insights from Bain & Company on how to build a successful hybrid cloud and a number of other aspects on how to bring AI to the edge and stuff. So I would assume that you will get some new features here. That would be my guess. So I will hopefully be able to turn into that event. And we will post that link in our show notes, of course. So they will be talking a lot about Azure Arc, um, bringing Azure data services to an infrastructure, upgrade your data center and remote branch office. So a lot of quite interesting aspects. And then you pointed out something that I found quite interesting. It's delivered in partnership with Intel. So I wonder what they will be talking about that Intel have a roll in yeah that's a pretty interesting question i think um, but then again microsoft and intel has had a partnership for ages so it might mean absolutely nothing really yeah <laughs> you're absolutely right but then we have perhaps the most interesting event of the coming weeks and that is that me and alexander and Joan and tony uh, have been talking about starting a user group in our area of Sweden since our first global Azure bootcamp 2017. And being the agile people that we are, now is the time for our first real meetup. So June 30th, 6 p.m. Central European time, we will be hosting the first East Sweden Microsoft user group where uh, we are trying to build a community in our part of Sweden since our part of Sweden is actually the third largest. I think it's called the fourth largest, but I think we actually are the third largest region in terms of inhabitants in Sweden now. Uh, we have been growing that much. 
Uh, and we haven't really had any big events or any big use groups, especially not around IT professionals. There have been a couple of them for developers, but now we're starting up a joint user group for both developers and IT pros. And we'll, of course, start off with virtual events, so you are more than happy to join us wherever you are in the world. The events will be hosted and um, hosted in Swedish. Some sessions will be in Swedish, but when we invite guests, which we have done for this first event as well, some of the sessions will also be in English. Over time, we'll probably do hybrid meetings, hybrid meetups, so um, either that we meet in a physical location each time and then live stream events, or that we do uh, every other one, virtual and physical. So we'll see how it goes. But for the first one, we'll be having um, Sarah Lean, which, and she is an old friend of mine and Alexander. Uh, she's the founder of the Glasgow Azure User Group and a cloud advocate with Microsoft, so one of the global cloud advocates. And she will be talking about how to do a successful hybrid um, migration from your data center to Azure. And Alexander have possibly a new session in his sleeve that he will be delivering. So Sarah will be talking English, Alexander will be talking Swedish, and I hope that as many as possible can join us, regardless if you are living in the eastern part of Sweden, or if you just want to tune in to get some great sessions in Swedish or English. Yeah, and uh, just to roll roll that one up, I won't be talking Finnish, I will be talking gibberish. <laughs> and on that gibberish b- bombshell, it's time to end this edgy episode. And um, I can assure you that we will be back next week. And I hope that Alexander will be able to join us by then. Hmm? Thank you for listening to in Tech. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be a part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at Meanwhile, take care. Bye. Bye now. <laughs>